0: I was thinking, you know, maybe throwing out the message this week and and writing something completely new. But when you start looking at the first chapter in Ecclesiastes, it actually speaks right into the situation. It picks up a lot of the feelings, picks up a lot of the emotion, the same sort of sentiments I think a lot of people right now in Canterbury and around New Zealand are feeling. The sense of meaninglessness of what's happened. The whole thing's just seeming so incredibly meaningless. And that word... In Ecclesiastes, it's it's an important Hebrew word, it's the word hebel, and it it literally means breath or vapour. And isn't that what we've seen this week? Just the way life is a breath, it's a vapour. It's a mist, it appears and then it disappears, and what we think is so stable is so quickly taken away. The teacher in Ecclesiastes, the quester, he says in this chapter, generations come and generations go, but the earth remains the same. And haven't we seen that this week? There was a woman that gave birth half an hour after the earthquake. New life, and at the same time, in the same moments, countless lives taken away. We've seen generations come and generations go in the same hour, It happens in the same moment. And the Questa says the earth remains the same forever. And of course the irony is, well, this week it didn't. The earth didn't remain the same and yet the land is still there and the earth is still there but so many lives have been taken. And it's very easy to step back with the Questa and Ecclesiastes and just feel life is meaningless. It is Hebel. It's a breath. It's a vapour. It's transient. And the questions that come up At times like this I mean there's the usual round of questions about why did God allow this to happen and 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 where is God and all of this and did he cause it and did he allow it and and those questions tend to be a little academic they're often asked by people that are a bit further removed from the situation but I don't know whether you found yourself just asking questions that are even closer to home you know what if it had been me what if it had been someone that I loved What if my life had ended so quickly and so suddenly without any warning, without any chance to say goodbye? Would it mean anything? Would my life have made any difference to anybody? Would I even be remembered by people that came after me? Is there any real significance? And it's amazing the way an event like this just puts life into sharp relief for us. Things that we give so much energy to, so much time we think are so important, all of a sudden they just seem trivial. They just seem so inconsequential and bigger... Issues of life and death and eternity start to come into focus for us. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. That word Hebel, it goes back to a story in the Bible in Genesis 4. It's the story of two brothers, Cain and Abel. And these brothers were born equally part of the same family, but from the very beginning, their story is a story of inequality within a family. And these two brothers bring this offering before God and God looks with favour upon Abel's offering and He doesn't favour Cain's offering. And Cain's not very happy about this. Cain doesn't like being seen as inferior. Cain doesn't like being seen as the one who's brought the lesser offering and so he lures Abel out into a field and he takes his life. It's a tragic story of a life cut short and it reminds us a little of what's happened this week. Lives that have been cut short, people that have, been, that have had life taken from them in their prime when there was so much ahead of them and so much potential. It's a bit like the story of Cain and Abel and the story leaves us at the end without any real sense of justice, without any real sense of vindication. In fact, if you read the rest of the story, God kind of offers to almost protect Cain he does punish him but then he sort of says "You know, no, nobody's going to harm you and he, and he looks after him whereas Abel never receives any kind of vindication. There's no justice. The name Abel is the same word that the Quester uses in Ecclesiastes 1 for meaninglessness. The name Abel is, is, is the word Hebel. And Abel's name literally means breath or vapor. It means meaninglessness. And it's not just that his death itself was meaningless, it's that in a sense his whole life seemed a bit meaningless. He offered this great sacrifice to God, he had less in the beginning but he made this great effort and he he went to all the trouble of offering God some of the best of what he had. And yet his brother who had made a far worse, far less significant offering ends up taking his life in this brutal act of murder and Abel is just stamped out. Abel ends and he's taken out of the story and Cain continues and on the Bible goes. It's, it's a story that's crying out for an ending. It's a story that's crying out for some sense of justice, some sense of vindication and that is the essence of this idea of Hebel. See, meaning is always connected to ending. The meaning of something is, is always inseparably connected to whether it reaches its intended ending, whether it reaches its intended goal, not what something is in isolation, but whether it works its way towards its goal. The reason that Abel's life seems so meaningless is because his life never really went anywhere. He was cut down in the prime of life and the story just stops. There's this tragedy of there's no meaning because there's no ending. Meaning is connected to ending. Think about all the rebuilding that's taken place in Christchurch since September. Think about the effort that's gone into restoring buildings, clearing rubble, returning the city to what it was. And then in an instant, so much of that work is completely undone. And we can look at that and say, it's meaningless. All of that rebuilding effort seemed meaningless. Why? Why? because it never reached its intended ending. It never had an outcome. It never produced what it was supposed to produce. The work that went in to rebuilding a building that has just then crumbled again, seems meaningless, because it never reaches its intended goal. Meaning is always connected to ending. Now, when you read Ecclesiastes 1, with that understanding starts to become a little clearer because the, the quester is not saying to us that all that we do in life, our work and our, our, our sleeping and our family life and our social life, he's not saying it's not of value. He's not saying that it doesn't have any significance. He's saying that so often life doesn't seem to go anywhere and it doesn't seem to end anywhere. Life just seems incredibly circular. Life just seems to go round and round. And, and, and it would have been in Christchurch, you know, you think about the way that Tuesday was going, just an ordinary day, just the, the monotony really of life. Just the rhythms and the patterns of another day in the city, another day at work, another day at home, another day at school, another day at uni, wherever. Life just has this sort of circularity to it. And this is how people would have been experiencing life. Projects come, projects go, clients come, clients go. The laundry comes, the laundry goes. Money comes, money goes. Life just goes right. And the tragedy of it is, the only thing that seems to interrupt the circularity of life is the tragedy of death and the tragedy of crisis. And this just comes and seems to compound the meaninglessness of life. Life doesn't seem to be going anywhere. It seems circular. And then death comes and stamps it out to take away any chance of any kind of ending that we were hoping for. Meaning, is connected to ending and when we can't see the ending and when it doesn't seem to have any ending, life is meaningless. Paul in the New Testament puts this into an even bigger picture. There's one time, just one time in the New Testament that this word, Hebel is used, or the Greek equivalent of that word, the New Testament's in Greek, Old Testament's in Hebrew, but the equivalent word of Hebel in the New Testament, it's only used once, and it's in a very, very interesting place. In Romans 8, just flick over there for a moment. In Romans 8, verse 20, Paul says, "...for the creation was subjected to frustration." That word is the equivalent of Hebel. It's it's the same equivalent word that the Quester uses in Ecclesiastes 1. So, we could literally translate this, for the creation was subjected to meaninglessness, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. What's Paul saying here? He's saying that creation itself was going somewhere in the beginning. When God created the world, He created a world that was going somewhere. It wasn't just this static snapshot creation. Creation was always a project. Humanity was always a project. It was moving somewhere. God's goal was that the Garden of Eden would become the whole earth, that humanity would fill and subdue the earth. God created the world good, but He was moving it towards a final destination, this final destination of perfection. And what has happened with sin entering the world through humanity's own choice is that creation has been knocked off that track. Creation has been knocked off that track towards where it was going and just put into this whirlpool going round and round, meaninglessness and futility. Now I don't know whether that means there were earthquakes before the fall or not. It's quite possible there were. It's quite possible that tectonic plates have always done what tectonic plates do. But I don't think before sin entered the world we would have called them natural disasters. They would have just been natural occurrences without human casualties. But now that sin has entered the story, now that sin has entered the world, death has become part of the human experience. Creation has been knocked off track and it's really been robbed of its ending. That's what sin has done. It's like a movie that's had the final scene edited out. That's what, hap- that's what sin has done in the biggest picture. It's taken away that ending. And it's denied God's creation project, His human project, the ability to reach its final destination. That is why creation itself is just stuck in this spiral of meaninglessness. That's why death has become part of the human experience and you can have earthquakes that kill so many people. This is the groaning of creation. This is the meaninglessness of, of the world in which we live the futility of creation as it currently is but here is where the story turns in the very next phrase the very next sentence of romans 8 paul says we'll go back to verse 20 he says for the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice but by the will of the one who subjected it and here are the words: in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. This is the good news we've been looking for. In hope. Don't we need a bit of that at the moment? In hope. There is hope, Paul says. God has not left this meaningless world alone. He's not stepped back from it. He has entered into it in Jesus of Nazareth in order to bring hope. Jesus stepped into the meaninglessness of life. Jesus stepped into the hebel of this world with all of its natural disasters, with all of its loss of life, with all of its sinfulness, with all of its corruption and all of its depravity, Jesus entered into the futility of this world. And here is, at the climax of the story, Jesus is hung on a Roman cross. And I want to suggest that when you think about Jesus on the cross, Jesus became Hebel. Jesus died as the meaningless man. Now, that doesn't mean his death is meaningless. Obviously, it is hugely significant. But think of it this way. Jesus, when he dies, he is dying as Abel. He's taken the role of Abel in the story. He has made the greater offering of his life. And yet, he has had his life taken from him by his brothers whose offerings were far less worthy and his life has been snuffed out. Jesus on the cross has become Abel. He has become Hebel. And as Jesus dies on Good Friday, there is that sense of meaninglessness. There is that sense of Hebel, that he's taken upon himself all of the futility, all the frustration, all the groanings and the longings of creation all upon himself. But he has done it so that on Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday, God the Father raises Jesus from the dead and that's where the whole story changes. That's where everything starts to be made new. When Jesus was raised from the dead through his death and his resurrection, what he has accomplished is putting the final chapter back in the story, giving creation back its ending giving creation and all of humanity back its goal so that finally again the world is moving somewhere. Finally creation is back on track to its final destination. doesn't mean we're going to bring it about by ourselves. This is God's work to complete in God's good time but God is now moving the entire cosmos towards this final destination, the new heavens and the new earth, the new creation as Paul calls it where there will be no more death, crying, mourning, pain where there will be no more natural disasters. Will there be earthquakes and the new creation? I don't know. I hope not. But if there are, they're not going to cause loss of life. They're not going to cause injury. There will be no more hospitals because there will be no more need. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more grieving for loved ones who have been taken from us. There will only be God's shalom, God's peace. That fills the whole earth. Peace between humanity and God and between humanity and one another. That's the destination. That's what Jesus has put back in place for us and for all of God's creation. So now we're living in this in between time. And Paul says in Romans 8 that creation itself is groaning for that liberation. That's what you're seeing in Christ's church, creation, you're not seeing the judgment of God. This is not God acting to cause an event to happen. So often Christians get on that track and we start talking about how God has done this for whatever reason, we try to come up with reasons that God might possibly have done. God has not caused this to happen. He is suffering right alongside those who are suffering at the moment. He is identifying with those who are the victims and who are so utterly broken. What you're seeing is the brokenness and the meaninglessness of creation groaning, the earth physically groaning for its liberation from its bondage to decay. That is how biblically we understand these kind of events, the frustration and the turmoil of a world that is desperate for its ending desperate for its final resting place, desperate for the final chapter in the story and the good news is Jesus has secured it. Jesus has died for it and he has risen for it and the world is moving towards that destination. doesn't mean that earthquakes are suddenly going to get less and less and less but one day when Christ returns, that future will be here. And the extraordinary thing is that even in the present, God has begun that future now. God has begun it now, and this is what happened with Jesus' resurrection. Piece of that future came into the present. You think about that statement that the quester makes. And I think it's verse 9 in Ecclesiastes 1, where he says, There is nothing new under the sun. And then you go to Revelation 21, verse 5, and you have God at the end of time saying, Behold, I'm making all things new. What has happened in between those two statements? Jesus the death and the resurrection of Jesus so while the quester can say there's nothing new under the sun Jesus has come God will make all things new but even in the present he's starting now he's starting to make things new he started on Easter Sunday and ever since then he's been starting to make things new and he starts with individual lives like yours and mine he starts by making us new and maybe for you, this, is just, this whole event has just opened your eyes to the meaninglessness of your life, to the meaninglessness of what you've been running after and pouring yourself into. And maybe you just see it more clearly this week than you've seen it before. God is opening His arms to you and desiring to make you new, desiring to bring newness into the meaninglessness of life, into the frustration, into the futility, to make you new through Jesus, to give you a new future to give you hope, to give you purpose and direction, to give you the stability that is not available and we see that anywhere else in the entirety of creation to bring the security into our lives that we desperately need. But I tell you, this is not just for people that aren't Christians becoming new and being made Christians. Each of us need to be made new all the time. God showed me this just the other week. I was just spending time with Him just... I had I had some time in the evening everyone else was out and spent some time in prayer and God just came and gave me a picture of the emptiness and the meaninglessness of my own life just the utter barrenness of who I am without him and I realized in that moment I'd just been running around trying to do my thing you know and even in church work you can do this so easy you know you Try to build a ministry, you try to get things going, you preach a sermon. I almost just felt like God was saying to me, Who do you think you are? Trying to build a church, trying to preach a sermon. You think you're going to start some great ministry for me? Who, who are you? But it was in a way that was not at all condemning, it was in a way that was utterly freeing. And He drew me to the story of the prodigal son and just reminded me of the embrace of the Father around the prodigal son. He said, this is, this is where you are and this is where you need to be and this is what you need to live out of, this embrace of a loving God. That's what everything else is going to flow from. God made me new in that moment. God made me new, just utterly new. He, just, he emptied me out in order to fill me up again with something that wasn't of me, that was His power and His presence and just the security, just the rest is what it was, just the rest, no more trying, no more flailing away in my own effort, just the rest, the utter rest, just knowing His embrace and living confidently out of that. That's more motivating to me than anything else, than just trying and putting in effort. It's just resting in Christ. That's the newness. That's the newness that's available to us this morning whether you're a Christian or not this is God is wanting to make us new he's wanting to pour out his spirit and make us all new to see him with new clarity into the oldness of your life into the sameness maybe of your life the sameness of your faith that you've just plateaued for years and years just the same old same old God is wanting to break into that with something new maybe he's wanting to use the events of this week to bring some clarity into your life to show you what's important to make you new And as we're made new, day by day, in all kinds of ways, Jesus starts to live out his life through us. And this is what you'll see now in the coming weeks down in Christchurch. You will see people expressing the love of Christ in all kinds of ways because this is what God does. That's where God is going to be now in this situation, working through his people down there. To bring hope and to bring healing and to bring comfort and to bring help and to bring practical needs being met in all kinds of ways. That is the resurrection of Jesus living out in our lives. That's practicing resurrection. That's practicing the newness. The newness that the Quester and Ecclesiastes couldn't quite see, couldn't quite grasp. All he saw is the frustration. All he saw is the meaningless. But God is making things new. And the staggering thing is that when you and I do this stuff, when we speak a word of kindness, when we pray, as we did this morning, when when you and I all pray for others in need, we are doing things that somehow will find their way into God's new creation. I don't know how this happens. But when Jesus lives out His life through us, we are undertaking works of new creation that will actually last on past death, past the final judgment and into this new world that God is building. I love the way that Tom Wright puts this. He says, You are not oiling the wheels of a machine that's about to roll off a cliff. You're not restoring a great painting that's shortly going to be thrown on the fire. You're not planting roses in a garden that's about to be dug up for a building site. You are, strange as it may seem, almost as hard to believe as the resurrection itself, accomplishing something that will become in due course part of God's new world. Think about that. Now, what kind of meaning does that give to your life and mine? If meaning is connected to ending, if what you and I do in the present has no ending, it gets snuffed out by death and that's it, then we're right to conclude with the quest of life is meaningless. But if somehow Jesus is living out His resurrection through our lives and the smallest of things that we might do to extend His love and to extend His kindness and to extend His tenderness to others if maybe those things have an ending, if those things are somehow caught up into, drawn into God's new will, doesn't that breathe meaning into those things we do in the present? Because they're going somewhere. Because they're forming part of a kingdom, forming part of a new creation. Every word of kindness, every prayer, every time you prioritize your family over other commitments, every time you lift your voice in praise to God, every time you extend your own self as the hands and feet of Jesus, somehow those things are finding their way into God's new world and that makes them incredibly meaningful in the present. Hebrews 12, 24 says that Jesus' blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel speaks the word meaningless into creation. It speaks meaningless to our life and it leaves us in this state of futility, but Jesus speaks meaning back into our life. And if you're here this morning and you're in a place of just meaninglessness and you are just wrestling with the futility of your own life, the futility of things that you are doing, Futility maybe if you feel like your relationship with God is just going nowhere. God's desire is not to leave you in the state of meaningless, but to speak a better word, a word of meaning and a word of hope to you. God's desire is to make you new right where you sit, right where you stand this morning, to breathe newness into your life so that you can be His agent of renewal in the whole world. As we are renewed, we become God's instruments of renewing all of creation that is the word that we need to hear we live in between the times we still live with the meaninglessness of creation groaning and crying out for its liberation we live with that darkness we've seen it again fresh this week the futility of life but right in the middle of it we see the resurrection of jesus that has come to make all things new and now we see newness starting to bubble up in all kinds of ways. It starts within our own lives and it extends through us in all kinds of ways to all kinds of people all over the world. That is what gives meaning back into the hopelessness of our lives. Can we pray? Father, I pray for anyone here who is just feeling like their life is so meaninglessness, meaningless this morning. Father, anyone who is just feeling that futility, anyone who is feeling like it's just not worth it, there's just no point anyone who was just seeing the events of this week and feeling like the whole thing just seems utterly meaningless, Lord, would you bring a sense of your resurrection power into our lives? For those who are just stuck on the treadmill going round and round, there seems to be no end to it, seems to be no point to it. Father, would you just break into that? With your power and with the newness that Jesus brought, come and bring life. Come and bring newness to us. Come and bring healing. Come and bring hope. Father, break us out of the oldness of our lives. Break us out of the monotony. Break us out of the tedium of our lives. Come and, Father, we just want to receive it afresh this morning. Receive that, new, that newness. Come and do a new thing. Come and do a new work in our lives. We're so hungry for it. We're so longing for it. And come and use us, Father, as you would, however you would, to extend that newness to others. I pray, Lord, that we just would not be content with living in meaninglessness. You've offered so much more. You've died for so much more. And you have risen for so much more. We just take hold of the newness that is available in Christ this morning. And we receive it. We ask you to come and do a new work in our hearts. Make us new. That we could demonstrate that newness to others in your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Connection Point is a joint production between Connection Resources and Shore Community Christian Church. If you would like a free copy of today's message, please email us or phone us on 0800 90 30 90. To subscribe to our free podcasts or to listen to the latest message, go to connectionresources.org.nz.